The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with one for the record book. Stocks coming off one of their best Novembers ever as investors price in what appears to be a peak rate environment. And leading the charge, of course, that's tech. The sector seeing its best month since 2022, even Kathy Wood breathing. A sigh of relief. And it's not just stocks. Bitcoin also bubbling back up around growing optimism. The SEC gives the green light to the first ever crypto ETF. Plus, after a two-year delay, the wait, it's over for the Cybertruck faithful. And then later in the show, we're capping off a week-long look at the AI arms race and the one year since the launch of ChatGPT. It's Friday, December the 1st, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. As always, I'm going to get you ready to start the day. We're going to kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Take a look. We see the Dow up just about 80 points right now off of its highs of just earlier this morning. The S&P and the Nasdaq in the green fractionally right now. This after what was a historic month for stocks with the S&P 500 now sitting just 5% away from its all-time high after an 8% gain in November, something it's done less than 10 times since 1928 And we're also seeing right now its best month since July of 22. Of course, that was last month. We're now in December. Uh, Stock shocking move higher, matched only by the fall off in Treasury yields. Of course, we always look at the 10-year right now. We see it at 4.31 this morning. you got to remember, it hit a peak of about 5% earlier this year. But right now, again, as we say, at 4.31, you can see the sharp decline in the chart right here. All right, that is the U.S. picture. Let's see if Europe and Asia were able to keep up. Our Jamana Bersetschi, she's live in our London newsroom with much more on the overseas action. Jamana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, November was a great month for global stocks, and not so much the case if you look at Asian stock markets. There is one in particular that actually ended November in the red. That is the Hang Seng, down about four-tenths of percent. A lot of the tech names came under selling pressure, the likes of Alibaba, Metuan, JD.com. One of the reasons why that index came under pressure, and of course, a lot of focus on the Chinese macro. Nikkei, however, up 8.5%, its best month in three years. So it sort of plays into what global stock markets have been doing in general. The Australian index also up 3.9%. As for European bourses, you're going to see every single one of these bourses had a very strong November. The relative underperformer, though, was the FTSE 100 over here in the UK, only up 1.8%. You've got to bear in mind that, of course, uh, oil prices dropped and many of the commodities producers are uh, domiciled within the UK and trading within the FTSE 100. One of the reasons for the downtrend, also Burberry, one of the underperformers within that index as well. Cacarante in France up 6%, though we have seen a somewhat of a, a disappointment in luxury names. And then Zetradax in Germany, the relative 
outperformer as well here, up 10%, surprising given the manufacturing backdrop. But what we have seen is a rebound in some of the industrials named Siemens Energies, one of the major performers of the stock 600 after they formally applied for help from the German government. And of course, similar to the U.S., we're keeping a close eye on interest rate expectations. As markets price in more interest rate cuts, the stock markets seem to be doing quite well. Frank. All right, Jamana, thank you very much. Jamana Versace live in our London newsroom. Back here on Wall Street, stocks looking to keep up November's momentum as we prepare to kick off the final trading month of this year. The Nasdaq up more than 35% so far in 2023, nearly 19% for the S&P 500 and just about 8.5% for the Dow. This on growing expectations that Jay Powell and the Fed, they're done raising rates following fresh data showing slowing consumer spending and further easing pressures from inflation. For much more, let's bring in Lindsay Bell, chief strategist at 248 Ventures and a CNBC contributor, and Robert Shine, CIO at Blanky Shine Wealth Management. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. So, Lindsay, I want to start with you. We obviously saw a great November, all three indices rallying. Um, coming up in the December meeting, almost everybody believes that we're going to see a pause. Does the rest of this rally, this possible year-end rally, does it depend on a dovish Fed, the commentary from Jay Powell? You know, I think that's what the market's pricing in, Frank. It's a really good question. I know we're going to hear from him today. I don't think his position's going to change today. He has been hawkish. He has wanted to leave the possibility of one more rate hike on the table because he wants to make sure that inflation is, in fact, squashed. It's obviously coming down. Uh, if you look at the core PCE, it was 5% at the start of this year. We're down to 3.5% now. So we've made some really great traction there. You see the job market softening. So that's why the market is pricing in. Peak rates are here. The Fed is done. But the, the fact, the expectation to hear those words out of Chair Powell's mouths I think that's where uh, the rubber is going to hit the road at this December Fed meeting. And so, uh, you know, if the market's pricing that in, we might be disappointed. And that could result into a a little bit of angst in the market uh, mid-month. So, Robert, same question to you. I mean, we've seen throughout the year that the market hasn't really believed what the Fed has said. Uh, Actually, just earlier this week, uh, our Steve Leisman spoke to Richmond Fed President uh, Tom Barkin, and he said, you know, inflation is stubborn and that the market is kind of hearing what it wants to hear. And the Fed's keeping all of its options on the table. In your mind, how much of this rally is dependent on a dovish Fed? The rally actually started a few weeks back when the 10-year Treasury sort of topped at 5%. So the bond market is indicating we have a slower economy ahead. It's also indicating the potential for the Fed to be on pause. Now, the the Fed Reserve chairman has a tough job. He has a tightrope to walk because he has the first wave of inflation coming down. So he can't declare victory. But at the same time, he also has to say, hey, listen, let's talk tough but maintain higher for longer as long as they could hold that line. All right. So obviously uh, you're mentioning bond yields right now, Robert. So right now we're seeing them at about 4.31 right now, about 70 basis points lower than their peak this year, as you mentioned, is about 5%. Um, Where do you see bonds going from here and how does that impact the market? Yeah, fixed income is the has been the story for 2023, uh, with the the, the sideshow being the equity market. Uh, the ten year Treasury has been the show. Uh, so, does the do the bond vigilantes actually are they running uh, ahead of the Fed? Uh, the question is, it, it remains to be seen because, as we know, historically speaking, the first wave of inflation is coming down. But historically, uh, inflation comes through two waves, about 87 percent of the time. So the Federal Reserve's got to maintain a hawkish tone. Uh, the bond market's going to play that tug of war. And the 10-year Treasury is still going to be the story for 2024. 
All right. So if the 10 year Treasury continues to be the story for this last month of the trading year, Lindsay, how would you play things? Where are you going to put money? Uh, a lot of people are talking about the market basically broadening out. But would you stick with what's been working all year? Or are you looking for new opportunities? Frank, I'm going to stick with what's been working because I think that despite the bullishness that has come back into the market when you look at things like the AAII survey, and obviously after a 9% run in the month of November, people are feeling better about things. But the reality is when you think about the economic environment for 2024, People are still uncertain, and, and there is a defensive tone when you talk to a lot of big investors. So I'm going to stick with what's worked. And if you, even the, when you look at the month of, of November, the stocks that, that performed the best were technology, communication services, and consumer discretionary. Seasonally, those usually perform very well in the month of December as well. And so for, for those reasons, I think the defensive nature in some of those tech sectors, the AI boom, the reliability of earnings, those things are going to continue to drive that uh, those sectors going forward. So, Robert, I think you agree with uh, Lindsay. You gave us a couple picks. Seems like you're also sticking with what's been working so far this year. Your picks this year, uh, Eli Lilly, Microsoft and Amazon all doing very well. Yeah, we, we like we believe in the AI space. I mean, uh, Frank, if you believe in the AI space, here's what you're looking at. We know these stocks have run up. But if you think about the total addressable market right now, it's one hundred and fifty billion dollar market globally today. It could be one point five trillion by 2030, which could be accretive to the global sort of savings or contribution about fifteen trillion dollars. So there's a lot of efficiencies at work in the AI space, especially with the wage pressures and everything. We're talking about the Fed right now. The AI story is still here and it has a lot of room to run. And then we like Eli Lilly. Again, it's another growth space. Even if we believe that the economy is going to slow, Eli Lilly is one of those growth stories that we believe it could double from here. It's a $6 billion market cap today. could be $100 billion uh, in terms of the, the, the war on weight loss drugs by 2030 once again. So you want to insulate yourself from what potentially could be clouds on the horizon, uh, uh, maybe a slower economy, but believe in stories like AI or even the weight loss drug war. All right, Lindsey Bell, Robert Schein, both saying stick with what's working. Great to see you both. You both have a great weekend. Thank you, too. All right, time now to get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Hey, Silvana. Hey, Frank. Good Friday morning to you. Well, the Cybertruck has finally arrived. Tougher than bullets. Uh, tow pretty much anything. Uh, faster than a 911 while towing a 911. So, uh, and deliveries begin now. Thank you. After a two-year delay, Tesla finally delivering its first electric pickups to customers yesterday at an event to mark the official start of sales. The EV maker also revealing updated pricing for the truck, with the entry level starting roughly $21,000 more than it had previously specified back in 2019. Now, it will also sell two other higher-end versions, with the most expensive starting at nearly $100,000. Tesla shares facing some pressure ahead of the open, down about seven-tenths of a percent. Now, more good news for Crypto bulls. The SEC is now formally engaging with major market players, meeting this week with Grayscale, BlackRock, and the NASDAQ about the potential creation of Bitcoin ETFs, something the SEC tried to block but was eventually 
overruled. Now, in anticipation, the price of Bitcoin is up more than 130 percent this year and on pace for its best year since 2020. And while crypto tracking stocks like Riot, MicroStrategy and Coinbase are up more than 250 percent since January. And a U.S. judge has blocked Montana's first of its kind ban on TikTok from taking effect on January 1st, saying it violates the free speech rights of users and oversteps state power. TikTok owner ByteDance sued Montana back in May in an effort to block the ban, Frank. Are you on TikTok yet? Nope. Not yet. I, I'm nope. on there. I got to be honest. I, I, I get on there, but it's just I, I don't even know how to describe it. I only watch videos that people send me. Yeah. That's it. It's fun, <laughs> but it's just like it's all over the place. Yeah, that's, it seems that way. Very interesting story. Maybe you and I, we need to create a worldwide exchange. TikTok. All right, let's do it. Maybe, maybe. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see you later in the show. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, why energy traders are not buying what OPEC is selling, even with the promise of a 2.2 million barrel production cut. Plus, much more on tech's magnificent November. And the stocks our next guest has her eye on, despite fears of fraud. And then later, our week-long look at the AI arms race, it rolls on with a look at the cloud and the CEO of one major player in that space. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We are watching the price of oil after OPEC Plus agreed to new voluntary output cuts totaling about 2.2 million barrels per day. The move spearheaded by Saudi Arabia, which will extend its current cuts of 1 million barrels per day through at least the first quarter of next year, with Russia and six other producers accounting for the remainder of those cuts. Key for oil traders, however, remains compliance and whether or not the bloc will actually stick to its new targets. Joining me now is Amina Backer, Deputy Dubai Bureau Chief and Chief OPEC Correspondent at Energy Intelligence. Amina, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thank you for having me. All right. So big cuts from OPEC, but relatively little impact on the oil market. As we can see right now, it's actually in the red. So tell us, why don't we see more price support for oil after these pretty dramatic cuts? Um, I think that there was a lot of negative sentiment out there in the market to begin with. So um, these cuts uh, partly 
were factored in, and I'm talking about the the uh, the cuts from Saudi Arabia and Russia, there was an expectation in the market that Saudi Arabia and Russia would be extending their voluntary cuts. So that's the first part of it. And then the second part of it, I mean, the, the additional cut that was offered by uh, the other six states, um, there are doubts, there's speculation that these uh, cuts uh, could actually come into uh, effect. Um, but there's just one thing I think the market is confusing a little bit. Um, all cuts under OPEC are called voluntary cuts. Even the 2 million barrel per day collective cut, that's called a voluntary cut. When you call them voluntary cuts, it doesn't mean that they won't happen. Um, we've seen commitments and statements from ministers from all of the states that uh, offer these voluntary cuts saying that they will remain compliant. One of the key uh, factors here that drove uh, the, the, the ministers yesterday to make this decision is that they really want to keep stock levels okay. down in the first quarter and counter any kind of uncertainty related to demand. All right, got it. Um, another development from that meeting is that OPEC Plus is inviting Brazil to join the group. Um, what does that mean for investors in the overall market? Um, well, I think it's uh, really big news that Brazil is joining the group, being a big producer, being a big major player in, in uh, South America. Um, understand that for now, Brazil won't uh, be having a quota per OPEC, uh, but it just strengthens the group and shows that, I mean, it's still uh, OPEC plus, despite, I mean, many market players saying that it doesn't have an impact in the market. It does still have weight and its policy does shape uh, oil uh, markets. So uh, Brazil joining, I see it as as an addition and a strength to the overall uh, alliance. All right. So one last question for you. I mean, I'm looking at Brent crude right now, trading at almost 81 bucks a barrel. It hit a high of about 97 bucks a barrel earlier this year, actually just a few weeks ago. Where do you see Brent crude going for the rest of this year? Um, what would what would you need to see to actually see oil prices move higher? Um, I think we need to wait until the first quarter when the uh, these additional cuts do take effect uh, and actually see stock levels move down. Um, in terms of fundamentals, yes, there is an expected slowdown in demand expected in the first uh, quarter. But given uh, how strong these cuts are, and it remains to be seen uh, to what extent they will be implemented, uh, I think that's going to change fundamentals quite a bit. We'll see a lot of tightening, um, and perhaps that would reflect into the prices. But okay. uh, for the remainder of the year, yeah, it seems like $80 is uh, is the price. All right. Oil fractionally lower right now after OPEC announcing 2.2 million barrel per cut day. Uh, Amina, you're saying it's called voluntary, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to stick to it. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insight. We appreciate it. Thank you, Frank. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, your big money movers and what Disney just did for the first time since the pandemic. We are back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. We start with shares of Ulta Beauty. They're up over 11 percent. 
After posting another strong quarter and raising its guidance, the retailer says third quarter sales rose due to healthy traffic at stores and on its website, though it does expect more promotional uh, deals this holiday season in the beauty category. Alta also announcing the retirement of its CFO, who will be replaced by the current senior VP of finance. Marvell Technology shares not looking so hot on lower than expected overall guidance. The chipmaker posting an 8% decline in net revenue despite a 20% sequential increase in data center revenue. Still, Marvell says it's benefiting from a diversified portfolio, which includes growth in its AI and cloud segments as it navigates a softening demand environment. Shares of Marvell down more than 4%. And Disney is bringing back some magic for investors. The company announcing it's reinstating its dividend of 30 cents per share after suspending it at the start of the pandemic. That dividend will be payable starting in January. This is Disney faces renewed pressure from activist investor Nelson Peltz ahead of board nominations next week. Shares of Disney right now up just over a half a percent. Time now for a check on this morning's headlines outside the world of money. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest. Good morning and happy Friday, Francis. Happy Friday to you, Frank. Good morning. We begin with the end of the week-long ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. The pause in fighting has ended after Israel's military accused Hamas of violating the terms of the ceasefire and firing toward Israeli territory. This puts an end to a week of prisoner exchanges between the two parties. More than 100 hostages were released by Hamas since last Friday while Israel has freed 240 Palestinian prisoners. The House will vote this morning to decide if George Santos can stay in his seat. The New York lawmaker, who faces 23 federal criminal counts, is under growing pressure to resign. But he has remained defiant, vowing to serve as long as he is allowed. Today's effort to expel Santos requires a two-thirds majority, meaning more than 70 Republicans would need to join all of the Democrats for the resolution to pass. And in Dallas, the Cowboys and Seahawks traded blow after blow on Thursday night football. Seattle wide receiver D.K. Metcalf, he caught three touchdown passes for the Hawks. While Dallas answered with four scores of their own, including this late catch by tight end Jake Ferguson. And that right there, that TD gave the Cowboys a lead that they'd hold on to. The boys right off the Seahawks in a primetime barn burner, 41 to 35 for a Friday. Frank, those are your headlines. You're up to date. Send it back to you. You know, Francis, it's really disappointing when the bad guys win. Like, nobody wants the Cowboys to win, Francis. Why? Just a minute there. Don't tell that to my brothers. Two hardcore, hardcore Cowboy fans for decades. I do have to admit they are America's team, but I'm an Eagles fan, not a Cowboys fan. It was pretty cool to see DK Metcalf do that sign language after he scored the touchdown, too. (laughs) Great to see you, Francis. Have a good weekend. Same. All right, straight ahead, we lay out what investors need to see to extend November's rally into December and beyond. Stay with Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. It is right around 530 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Looking for an encore. Stocks start a new month after one of the best Novembers in decades. However, futures are working for more gains. Tech remaining in the driver's seat for much of that action with the Nasdaq up 35% this year. But do all these high-flying stocks have more room to run? And we close on our week-long deep dive into artificial intelligence, talking with the CEO of one cloud player looking to capitalize on the red-hot tech. It is Friday, December 1st, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. As always, we're going to get you ready to start your day. We're going to pick up a half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures as we prepare to kick off this new trading month. Take a look. You can see the Dow looks like it would open up about 85 points higher. However, the Nasdaq has slipped into negative territory. 
right now. The S&P just fractionally in the green. This action we're seeing right now after what was a historic month for stocks, with the S&P 500 now sitting just 5% away from its all-time high after an 8% gain in November. Something has done less than 10 times since 1928. We're also seeing its best month since July of 2022. An equally strong showing for the Dow, also up about 8%. Its best monthly performance in just over a year. And the Nasdaq, of course, outshining both of them. Much more on tech's dominance in just a moment. But first, we're going to turn to the bond market right now, taking a look at yields. We're seeing the benchmark 10-year at 4.31. We actually saw it dip down about four and a quarter earlier this week, coming back up a few basis points. But generally, uh, the yields lower than we've seen them in recent weeks. We also want to look at energy, specifically oil, on the back of that OPEC Plus production cut. Voluntary cut of 2.2 million barrels per day. We just heard from an expert saying, even though it's voluntary, that does not mean that the oil-producing countries will not stick to those targets. Right now, we are seeing a bit of a rebound in oil, at least for today. Right now, uh, WTI crude, the U.S. benchmark, up just about a half a percent. Brent crude, the international benchmark, up just about a third of a percent. Natural gas down in the red, about a half of a percent. We want to turn our attention back to stocks. And what's really been an extraordinary month for tech in the NASDAQ, the index coming off a more than 10% monthly gain, its best since July of 22, and snapping a three-month losing streak. Helping power the index and the broader markets for the month, of course, has been the rebound in tech. And look right here at the Magnificent 7. So we're going to start down here. Meta up 4.5%. Similar story for Alphabet. Amazon up 6.5%. Apple up over 9%. And Tesla down there up over 14%. Um, Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF even making a comeback. Locking in a 30% one-month gain. It's best month on record. That means ever going all the way back to 2014. Joining me now is Sophie Lund-Yates, lead equity analyst at Hargreaves Lansdowne and Investment Week's 2023 Rising Star Award winner. Congratulations to you and good morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you very much. Great to be great to be back as always and so much to dig into, as you know. We got a lot to talk about, Sophie. So we were just touching on great performance from the Magnificent Seven. I do have to ask you after this November to remember how much of this rally continuing is dependent on a dovish Fed. Absolutely. Well, to be to be honest about it, it's, it's everything. The way that this market is behaving is perhaps unsurprisingly indicative of this idea that the Fed is absolutely done with with the hiking cycle. You know, this is a market that is behaving in a way that is expecting um, cuts really to be coming through um, early, early doors next year. Um, and that, in a way, is is a good thing. You know, we've had a lot of data points to, to suggest um, that there is something that the Fed might be comfortable doing, you know, that there is a lot of heat coming out of the economy. But the flip side of that that we cannot forget um, is that interest rates tend to get cut at times of economic difficulty. And of course, I'm referring to the risk of recession, um, which means that actually if, if that lands in a, in a harsher than expected way, this could spell a little bit of trouble. But of course, um, we'll have to have to wait and see on that one. We absolutely. We'll have to wait and see. I also want to talk to you about bond yields. We were talking about the 10 year earlier, um, down about 70 basis points from its high of earlier this year at about just about 5 percent. Um, how important are bond yields when we're talking mega cap tech? Um, obviously, the higher the yields, the higher the cost of capital. But a lot of these companies have really, I guess, robust cash flow. Absolutely. So traditionally, that relationship used to be, in my opinion, a, a lot tighter. But now when we see um, how these, these markets kind of interact with, with one another, 
um, that, you know, you see the level of the, the pullback when um, yields first spiked. Um, I'm talking here particularly about the Nasdaq. Um, it was really relatively limited when you look at the scope of how high yields were going. And what this is, is telling me really in a, in a broader sense um, is that markets are far more interested in the fact that a lot of these tech companies, the Magnificent Seven that you were talking about there, in a lot of instances, they are printing cash left, right and centre. And valuing those future flows is now a completely different task to what it used to be. You know, they are printing, I've heard this described as they are printing money on money um, in so many of the cases here. Um, and that really is what matters. Um, and that's where we're seeing a little bit of a, of a, of a disconnect compared to the, the traditional relationship. Let's talk more broadly about tech. We were just talking about the ARK Innovation ETF having its best month ever. Generally, when we talk about the ARK Innovation ETF, we're talking high growth tech, but also, you know, just riskier tech. A lot of people like to use the term risk on. Um, do you see continued uh, confidence in this riskier or high growth trade? And do you think investors for the, at least the rest of this year will continue to put money in the ARK Innovation ETF and other similar uh, investment vehicles? Looking specifically at, at December, um, I don't see um, right now an, an, an initial kind of pinch point where I can see something really spooking markets in that sense. But I think what's really crucial is as we look into um, into Q1, and I think when we start to get those data points about how um, stocks have performed, particularly those consumer-facing angles, how they have performed over the festive trading season, for me, that's going to set the tone for the macro, set the tone for economic policy. And it's at that point that I think we could see a little bit of, of shakiness on, on there, because really, as much as you know, investors in the market, they love, they're loving tech right now. And for a lot of good reasons, fundamentals cannot be forgotten. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes in these, in these riskier, higher growth options, those fundamentals strengths, those, the good old um, profit and cash flow, um, and can sometimes not be, not be a priority, shall we say. So I think a refocus on the fundamentals could hurt the riskier options as we head into Q1. All right. Sophie Lund Yates says, don't forget the fundamentals when it comes to the tech trade. Congrats on your award again. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Well, a big part of tech's rally this year, of course, artificial intelligence. More than 1.7 billion users joining ChatGPT since its public launch one year ago, kicking off what's been one of Wall Street's hottest trends of 2023. All week long, we've asked industry experts and executives about the AI impact across companies and sectors. It's a mistake to try to look at the list and pick out one clear winner like it's a horse race. Uh, you're not going to have a sort of win show place, you know, kind of a, a rank order. All of these companies are going to benefit from this trend. I still believe OpenAI's ChatGPT is really out ahead. The product features are superior in many places. They have been able to roll out smaller and uh, bigger, I mean, smaller types of features that have enhanced the bigger large language model. They're just so much bigger that it's, it's difficult to see anyone where, again, for AMD, that, that amount of revenue is certainly meaningful. Um, it, it's just hard to see anyone getting to the volume that it, that it matters for, for NVIDIA in the near term. If you think about it from a healthcare perspective, whether it's helping doctors diagnose disease earlier or helping more people enroll in clinical trials, there's no question that AI can um, improve healthcare in remarkable ways. AI is only as good as the data that feeds it. And so you want as high quality and as continuous data as you can get. So, for example, we can track your health and understand how you are changing over not just, you know, a day or a, a workout, but over weeks or months. And seeing deviations in your baseline is what allows the system to make predictions about your health. 
And one company benefiting from the AI boom, it's Dynatray. Shares are up more than 20 percent since reporting earnings last month. We're beat on the top and the bottom lines and offered strong guidance. Dynatrace is a software as a service player focused on intelligence and security. A market Wedbush says is worth right around $10 billion. The company uses AI and machine learning in the cloud to automate IT functions, block threats, and help companies release software and apps. Partners include Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud, ServiceNow, Accenture, and Deloitte. It also serves thousands of global brands, including Kroger, Air Canada, and SAP. Joining me now in a CNBC exclusive is Dynatrace CEO Rick McConnell. Rick, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Frank. Good to see you as well. All right. So as we mentioned, since earnings, shares are up about 20 percent. Investors clearly liked what you had to say. Give us a sense. What are your customers saying to you about their needs as we go into 2024? Well, amidst the evolution of the cloud and cloud environments, digital transformation leading into business transformation, virtually all companies need software to work perfectly. And our focus is to deliver observability and application security solutions that help customers do just that. So we participate in this exceedingly large market, leveraging AI to deliver our solution set to them. So talk to me, you leverage AI. One of the things you use it for is security. Since the start of the Israel-Hamas war, what are your customers and also your partners saying to you about their security needs and how are you using AI? Well, security is a key element of what we provide to customers. They want to be able to analyze their vulnerabilities. They want to be able to ensure that their software always is working as expected. And our AI engine is constantly looking for elements of security threat, breaches, or potential attacks. This is way more efficient than trying to do that manually by having frankly, an army of people sitting in a network operations center, staring at a sea of glass, trying to trying to do this on their own. All right. So as you mentioned, you're in a very competitive market. Um, we're going to show some of your competitors right now. They include Cisco, Datadog, and also Splunk. But at the same time, Cisco is in the process of acquiring Splunk. Give us a sense. And you also used to work at Cisco. Um, give us a sense to have a big company like Cisco playing in the same space. You are acquiring one of your competitors How does that impact your ability to acquire new customers, to grow revenue going forward? Well, we really like uh, where we sit at Dynatrace. Uh, We differentiate on multiple different elements. Uh, One is we have a very comprehensive, unified platform that delivers against all data types, logs, metrics, traces. These are the data types that are the fundamental building blocks for observability solutions. And our platform integrates those like no other. The second piece is AI. We have a very sophisticated approach to AI, which didn't come up for us six months or a year ago, but rather a decade ago. And we've been evolving and maturing our AI engine to deliver this very sophisticated analysis throughout this period of time. And third and finally is automation, that as generative AI is driving even more applications, more infrastructure, It is forcing organizations into an environment where you've got to automate your response to things like root cause analysis, Mm -hmm. but you also need to be proactive in eliminating or at minimum reducing incidents. And our platform enables all three of these elements. Dynatory shares up 20% since earnings use AI in the observability market, a $10 billion market, according to Wedbush. Rick, great to see you. Hope to have you back. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Frank. All right, we're going to stick with artificial intelligence. MasterCard is launching 
an advanced generative AI tool aimed at helping customers discover products in a retailer's digital catalog. The Shopping Muse personal assistant offers product and accessory recommendations based on aesthetic preferences, trends, and dress codes. Joining me now in the first on CNBC interview is Raj Seishadri, MasterCard president of data and services. Raj, good morning. Thank you for being here. Morning, Frank. Thank you for having me here. All right. I, I got to ask you the, the first question, uh, the most obvious one, I think. MasterCard's a payment company. Why are you creating generative AI tools to help shoppers? So we've uh, been using AI for well over two decades, and uh, MasterCard is a very dynamic and innovative company. Um, today, we've grown to be not just in payments, but beyond payments, and we do this through our services business. Services represent well over a third of MasterCard and are growing really fast. And uh, it came from payments. Of course, it helps enhance the value of payments, but it goes beyond payments to help customers, help customers grow their, uh, uh, you know, retail and commerce players grow their revenues, uh, improve their profitability, and engage in a much deeper way with their consumers. We help customers make smarter decisions for better outcomes. And that's where generative AI, AI, you know, shopping news, okay. which you mentioned, et cetera, come into play. All right. So this won't be on the MasterCard site. It will be on a retailer site that works with you and essentially licenses this tool. So give us a sense, practically, how would this work? For example, I'm actually going out of town to do a story. I'm going to be out in the field. If I needed to buy things for this trip, what would I say to this tool or type into this tool? How would it all work? So let's say you're on the site and you're looking around and you can't find what you want. The way the tool works is you can start having a dialogue. You can say, hey, uh, let's say you're out of town for a wedding. You can say, hey, what do I wear for a wedding uh, in Miami uh, you know, next weekend? Or I have a holiday party coming up. What do I need to wear for that? Uh, and they give you some options. And then you can refine the options based on conversation. So after looking at what it shows you, you can say, hey, I don't like those colors. I want the colors to be a little more muted. Or uh, can you show me um, a one-shoulder option? And it'll also recommend accessories and shoes. It just makes the shopping experience so much more tailored, so much more fun and easier. It improves the experience tremendously. All right. Raz Seishadri from MasterCard. Thank you very much. Shopping news available in Q1 of next year. We appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Frank. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, some fresh signs of hope for China's economy as it continues to face ongoing challenges. We're going to tell you where the country is seeing some progress, that and much more when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We're going to start with Morgan Stanley downgrading its rating and price target for Alibaba, moving it to equal weight and 90 per share. Morgan Stanley noting the cloud spinoff withdrawal brings uncertainty to the value unlocking from that organization. Stiefel initiating coverage of Boeing with a buy rating. It says the company, along with the aerospace industry as a whole, will see a better chance of improvements around new aircraft production rather than further pullbacks. And City is downgrading Spotify's rating to neutral. City saying while it likes the streaming giant's strategy and its execution, it no longer believes the risk-reward scenario is compelling. Time now for your global briefing. We're going to start with the president of the UAE officially announcing a $30 billion climate fund during the start of the COP28 summit. The fund will aim to finance solutions for climate change, aiming to help stimulate $250 billion in investment by 2030. A surprise in the latest read on China's manufacturing sector, the country's manufacturing PMI, it unexpectedly expanded last month, rising from October and beating estimates. And some relief for factories in the Eurozone last month, the region's manufacturing PMI, showing an uptick from October, but the reading remaining below the 50 mark, indicating a contraction in activity. 
All right, coming up here on WAX, the one word that every investor needs to know today. And as the markets continue to add to their 2023 rally, where our next guest is questioning a repeat for 2024. We will be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. We start with Tesla officially delivering its first Cybertruck to customers at an event yesterday after a two-year delay. The EV pickup will sell for an entry-level price of around $61,000, $21,000 higher than initially projected. The Financial Times reporting Panera Bread has confidentially filed for an IPO, looking to place next year. Panera appointed a new CEO back in May to prepare for an eventual IPO. After its plan to go public through a SPAC, it failed back in 2022. The SEC is meeting with Grayscale, BlackRock, and the NASDAQ about the potential creation of Bitcoin ETFs after previously attempting to block it. Bitcoin up more than 130% this year and hopes for that approval on track for its best year since 2020. Novo Nordisk says it's suing two pharmacies in Florida over the alleged sale of knockoff Wegovi and Ozempic drugs. This is the company struggles with shortages of both drugs due to skyrocketing demand. And a U.S. judge ruling against Montana's push to ban TikTok starting in January, saying it violates the free speech rights of users and oversteps the state's power. And Fed Chair Jay Powell said to participate in back-to-back events today, touching on post-COVID economic challenges and another discussion on tech innovation and entrepreneurs. Those kick off at 11 a.m. Eastern time today. All right, one more check on how we're shaping up to kick off the final trading day, uh, final trading month of the year, I should say. We just had the final trading day of the, of, well, moving on. Final trading, the final trading day, month of the year. How are you getting it out this morning? Looking at the futures right now, uh, the Dow off of its highs of earlier, looking like we'd open up about 65 points higher. The NASDAQ moving further into negative territory. December starting off on solid footing following November's gains. Our Bob Pisani has more on the setup. After an extraordinary November, with the S&P up 8.5%, the setup for December and into early 2024 is very strong. December is the third best month of the year, averaging gains of 1.4%. What's different about this December is that it's a pre-election year, and that's stronger than other Decembers. It's up 2.9% on average, up 75% of the time. The first part of the month tends to be the weakest due to tax loss selling. The second half of the month is where most of the gains usually occur. Now, it's not just the seasonals. The macro backdrop is strong. Interest rates have been dropping. Inflation continues to moderate. GDP growth has been solid. Unemployment is still low. That's what we call Goldilocks. No wonder Wall Street's so bullish. Almost every Wall Street strategist is expecting higher stock prices in 2024. Many are expecting the S&P 500 to end 2024 at 5,000 or above, which would be a gain of about 10%. Which brings us back to the stock market. It's been boring this week. The S&P is flat, but that's good. A sideways consolidation after such a strong month is a good technical sign, and the market is not giving up a lot of ground on the downside. What we need now is new information. That's the way the market works, you know. Goldilocks is already priced in. We need more information like we got from Salesforce. The tech giant was a big help to the Dow yesterday. It was up nearly 8%, 52-week high. Revenue guidance for the fourth quarter up 10% year over year. That was above consensus. The company says they're all in on AI and cutting costs. Those are two magic phrases for tech investors. We need more of that kind of commentary. But for the moment, let's just enjoy the positive backdrop. Back to you, Frank. All right, for much more, let's bring in Lizzie Evans, managing partner at Evans May Wealth, $1 billion in assets under management, and a top ranked wealth advisor by Forbes. Good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. 
All right. So overall, positive backdrop, as Bob just pointed out. Do you see this rally continuing into this month? We do. You know, if you look at what what we've seen this week, we heard uh, from Ackman he's expecting you know rate cuts now as soon as the first quarter. We heard similar similar commentary from Waller, and that as we're seeing inflation decline, if the Fed is not cutting rates effectively, they're having a more restrictive policy. And with CPI, the CPI report this month, if you take out food, shelter, and energy, we are up two percent. Uh, year over year, which is where the Fed wants us to be. So we have to be patient to let that really work its way into the system. But I think that bodes well for risk assets. So uh, we think that the Santa Claus rally has come, but we think he's here to stay for the holiday party. So I think you could see risk assets continue to move higher. All right, Lizzie. So with so much optimism in mind, how do you see the day ahead? What's your WEX word of the day? My WEX word of the day is catch up. And that's for today and really the, the rest of the year. So um, I think that there's going to be a lot of window dressing between now and year end with um, some of the big institutional managers that have been all year underweight equities and in particular underweight the magnificent seven. So if you look at long positions across hedge fund portfolios, magnificent seven today represents 13 percent, which is twice what it was in January, but still half the weight of the Russell 3000. So I think you're going to see this catch up trade continue. There's a lot of cash on the sidelines, so it doesn't take a whole lot to move the needle. All right. So you're also looking at some technical moves when it comes to the S&P. We're going to show the S&P right now um, well above its 50 day and 200 day moving average. But you're saying there's a level that it could actually cross today that would also be meaningful. So give us a sense. What's your thesis? From a technical standpoint, if you see the market break above 4,600, that's a very good uh, technical indicator and a good setup going into next year. I think that for the market to move meaningfully higher in 2024, we have to see new leadership, as Bob just alluded to. Uh, with that said, we're expecting, if you look at consensus, bottom-up consensus estimate, price target on the S&P for 2024, we're at 5030, which is 10% higher from from where we are today, that's revenues up 11%, earnings up 5.4%. So I think the, the setup is good, but we, we need to see new leadership, more market breadth, which we've seen in the last two weeks to really move the market meaningfully higher into 2024. Yeah, we're about 33 points away from that level. So it could actually happen today. Um, I want to get to your picks for us. One of them is Schwab. So Schwab's double digits higher since a big upgrade from Piper earlier this week. Um, Two parts of that thesis are that a lot of money is going to come out of money market accounts. A lot of people want to get their money back to work in the markets. Also, that Schwab would benefit from Fed cuts early next year. Do you agree with both parts of Piper's thesis there? I do. I do. And, you know, Schwab, while it's it's up uh, in the short term, it's still down 26 percent year to date. So where you have a lot of companies that are trading close to their 52 week highs, Schwab is still cheap. Um, so the, the two points you mentioned are good ones. You also have the integration with TD Ameritrade. That's going to deliver some real some meaningful revenue and cost synergies. So I think that that's one to own. All right. Lizzie Evans, it is always great to see you. Thank you very much. Your picks for us today, Schwab and also ServiceNow. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Frank. One more quick look at futures before I let you go on this Friday morning. Taking a look right now, it looks like the Dow would open up just about 60 points higher. The Nasdaq moving just a tick further into negative territory. The S&P fractionally higher, basically flat. We're going to leave it there. Have a great day and a great weekend. Squawk Box coming up next.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.